0: Welcome to Brandonites, a podcast in which we hear from people around Brandon, Manitoba, who are passionate about what they're up to. This podcast is brought to you by the Western Manitoba Regional Library. Today's guest is local author and former mayor, Sherilyn Dechter. Happy listening.
1: Hey, so welcome. Tell us a little bit about who
2: you are. Well, uh, delighted to be here today. Uh, uh, I write under the name Dector, Dechter, uh, which is a pen name, but uh, my, my live and in-person name is uh, Sherry Dechter Hurst, and certainly anyone in the Manitoba area should recognize that name.
1: OK, so we've invited you here today to talk about whatever you want. But we're a little biased because we're at the library, and we'd love to talk to you about writing. So how did you get started in this? Because you are an accomplished woman. You've done a lot in your life and and you're a published author. So how did that come to be?
2: Well, I was uh, found myself with some time on my hands <laughs> okay. a, a little while ago. And um, I, I think anyone who's a voracious reader always uh, thinks that they've got a book in them, right? And so I was sitting in a, a little uh, jazz bar actually in Mexico, okay. uh, listening to a uh, wonderful smoky blues, uh, Bessie Smith kind of jazz thinking, you know, I think I'm gonna write a story about uh, prohibition. And uh, it sort of evolved from that. And so I spent mm, about six months putting together the first draft. Okay. and. I had never um, uh, written anything before, and uh, in terms of fiction. And so what I decided uh, to do was I put together an outline, did some research, figured out how I wanted to, what kind of a story I wanted to tell, put together the first draft, found myself an editor, and then um, sent it off to her. And she read it got back to me about six weeks later and she said, Sherry, I have wonderful news and I have bad news. <laughs> oh no. And I said, well, Marie, uh, what's, what's the wonderful news? And she says, well, I love the Bootlegger's Chronicles. I think it's a great premise for a story. It got great characters, lots of exciting uh, stuff, well-researched. And I said, but Marie, that sounds so wonderful. What's wrong? And she says, you're going to have to rewrite the whole book because it's terrible.
1: (laughs) Ah, Which is our nightmare, right? So you've sent your baby out to the world for someone to read critically and then to get that. Like, what do you do? How do you move forward from that kind of feedback?
2: Well, you know, um, I took it in the spirit it was intended. And uh, as I said, I had no experience writing. And so it was a matter of... Uh, learning how to write fiction, okay. uh, how to create characters, um, uh, how to write dialogue, all those kinds of things, uh, how to make a plot that would uh, grab a hold of the reader and not let go. Okay. And so I sat down and uh, uh, tried again and again and again sure. and again and I kept sending off uh, versions and uh, the editor would uh, look through them and make suggestions and so it took about a year to get that first book um, in good enough shape that we were ready to publish. Okay. But by then the research, because of course I write historical fiction, and so it's like opening a can of worms, right? You'll right. always find one more fact that you just can't let go of. Sure. And uh, so it prompted uh, a five-book series, and also another series after that and now a third series that I'm working on. So uh, it's been quite a process and uh, in fact my uh, uh, editor has uh, said the latest book he's uh, just finished reading is is one of the best yet. Oh Uh, you're
1: warmed up now. Yeah yeah I (laughs)
2: like it's like exercise any muscle right you get better as the more you use it. So
1: and you've chosen to self-publish which to me is it's such a an amazing way for people to get their work out there. How do you go about doing that? How do you find a company that you're comfortable sending your work to? How do you, your, the quality of your books looks good. Like it doesn't look like I printed it at home and stapled it together. Like how, how do you come about that?
2: I, I think that, uh, you have to decide, um, when you finish writing the book, how you're going to get it out into the world and i looked at traditional publishing and decided that that was not the route that i wanted to go Um, i love control and i didn't like giving control away to uh, a publishing company who would choose the title and choose the cover and and frankly um you know i've got a, a solid grounding in business And I didn't want to be giving the publishing company all those royalties. And so, uh, again, I have um, a product that I produce, uh, the books that I write, and I sell the books that I write. And uh, I have found, especially this past year during the pandemic, that uh, independent uh, um, published authors have been doing very well because they've got lots of experience of how to deal with online retailers, Um, they've got a very close connection to their readers because um, when you're traditionally published you never know who's going to buy your books, whereas uh, uh, when you're independently published uh, you have a very real sense of who are buying your books, who your customers are. So so it's worked out very well. since about 2008 uh, amazon has been a real leader in making it easy to self-publish uh, they've got uh, lots of very um, accessible software uh, that um, so that it's you know very much just upload and and uh, you know make a few clicks and suddenly your book's for sale yeah, a lot of what happens Prior to that miraculous moment when you hit, you know, release uh, and and it's published, things like editing and cover design and proofreading and all of those kinds of things are up to every author. And I take a a great deal of pride in producing a very uh, polished work. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I like to hear that you you think that they have that level of finish and polish to them.
1: Just looking at the cover art, they're moody. They're evocative of a certain time and era. Like, are those? These are photos taken in Manitoba. Oh, heaven forbid, no. Okay, <laughs> so where? So well, where are these?
2: Because my business is online, and okay. so my, my covers are designed by a, a wonderfully creative person in England. My developmental editor is in uh, Philadelphia. My copy editor uh, is uh, on the West Coast, uh, hey. and uh, my, I have no idea where my proofreader is. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but she always manages to fit me in. But the covers—they always say never judge a book by a oh, cover. Oh,
1: that's how people pick books. My that's friend.
2: exactly how people buy books, and uh, so. Um, I wanted uh, something that had a bit of mystery, and the Rum Runners Chronicles, which are the second uh, series that I wrote, is about a very mysterious woman, and so you you don't really get a sense of who Edith is until uh, towards the end of the book uh, and uh, all of the challenges she has to face. So I thought that the cover designer did a very good job because they're also set in Florida. yeah, And so there's that tropical air to them. um, And the titles, uh, Gathering Storm, Storm Surge, and Eye of the Storm, they all deal with Both a physical storm that is happening, as well as a very emotional storm that is happening to the main character, Edith Buffy.
1: Yeah, it's it's always fascinating to read about women who are on their own. Right, they're not coming Mm. with a partner, especially in the 1920s. I, I, you probably can't buy a house. barely can vote, you can, you know, the 1920s was not always a great time to be an independent woman.
2: No, absolutely, and uh, uh, you're you're absolutely right um, that you you couldn't own property uh, unless uh, you were either a widow, which uh, Edith is, or you were gifted the property. You had very little control over your life. Uh, It was hard to go to get post-secondary education. Uh, You couldn't borrow money. Uh, that uh, your career opportunities were school teacher until you got married and then yeah. you had to quit, um, uh, or you could nurse, and yeah. again, usually until you got married and then you had to quit. That a woman's role in life was very defined by her, her uh, spouse, and that's one of the reasons why I love writing about the 1920s is because All of those social conventions were being uh, blown apart uh, thanks to World War I. That uh, uh, women uh, threw their corsets into the closet and suddenly uh, had this wonderful silhouette. We all know what the flapper dresses all looked like. They went on dates, uh, unchaperoned, they smoked, they drank. Uh, They had an independence that was absolutely exhilarating. that's part of you know getting the vote uh getting an education and uh and in fact a lot of them uh got jobs because of the shortage of men during world yeah. war one and uh didn't go home again
1: i've had 10 years in that decade is so interesting because you're between wars mm-hmm. you've survived the flu that was in the 18 you know that part and so i Find like, will you get into the 30s, or have you gone into the 30s? Because it's a, just a different feel. That vitality of the universe is gone. The
2: uh, the first series I wrote, the Bootleggers Chronicles, actually based around a lot of um, real characters. Yeah. Um, Mickey Duffy, who is the villain of the the series, was a real bootlegger in yeah. Philadelphia, and he died in 1932. And okay. so. Um, he we had to take the story all the way into the thirties, and i I really didn't enjoy writing the last book as much right. as I did the first four okay. because it was the times were so desperate, people's backs were to the wall, families were falling apart, um, there was such social unrest and pessimism and despair that um, again i I love the roaring 20s and the vitality and the energy and the optimism and the the rules being broken. So very different feel. So I was really glad to finish that series in the 1930s.
1: And I don't think I'll ever go that far again. (laughs) (laughs) I can understand that. And the fashion of the 20s too, right? And the music of the 20s, like the whole era is fun to play with. Absolutely. So we're in this twenties now. A hundred years later. So it's kind of crazy cause we're in this pandemic that none of us, well, some of us perhaps anticipated. What's it like being a writer? During a pandemic, does it change your day? Does it change the way you write? Well, the, the, two ways to look at it. One one is that
2: writers have a very solitary existence, and so my life changed hardly at all. <laughs> I continued to sit alone in front of my computer, sure. uh, whether you know last year or this year. That, um, but getting the books to readers became um, much more of a challenge okay and so uh, bookstores of course uh, closed the library closed Um, you couldn't uh, launch books the the first uh, book series i had had a marvelous launches Uh, Loved to speak to uh, uh, book clubs those kinds of things and none of that was happening so we had to do everything virtually which uh, again was a challenge, but I think that one of the interesting things that's coming out of the pandemic is how good we are on Zoom. Oh. We, you know, we, yeah. we've all got those great skills, and uh, how we're getting more comfortable doing uh, Instagram Live and Facebook yeah. Live sure. and all of those kinds of ways. Again, trying to to find people who would be interested in reading the stories we write, right,
1: and. I think one of the, the, I mean, my energy is attracted to your energy. And as a woman who is a leader in a community, do you have advice for other women who want to step out and to give back more to the community and to rise up amongst us? Oh, absolutely. Uh, that um,
2: there, there's a leader in every one of us. Uh, sometimes it's very quiet leadership. Uh, and again, uh, with your family, raising uh, your children. Um... Um, being true to who you are uh, as a person and uh, yourself, um, or very public leadership uh, that I had the opportunity and the privilege of providing uh, for a few years. So um, I think that that's the characteristic that I really love giving to all of my uh, heroines yeah. in my, my stories, that each one of them is a leader. The, in the first series, The Bootlegger's Chronicles, Maggie is a widow, Uh, trying to, again, figure out how she's going to put food on the table for her son. Um, And uh, in the second series, Edith is a very entrepreneurial woman uh, who manages to corner rum running and speakeasies and bootlegging in Florida uh, at a time when there was some very interesting competition going on with monsters. Uh, and in the series that I'm working on right now, uh, Dolores is uh, in the backwoods of Montana making moonshine and setting up uh, a, um, a moonshine business competing with uh, a very rough and ready crowd, put it that way. Okay.
1: <laughs> Wow, so definitely alcohol is going through these. This this alcohol is a way to make money is an interesting uh, side <laughs> well, well, hustle here. Y-
2: you have to uh, look and see what the opportunities sure. were available. Yeah. Um, a lot of the immigrants that came to America, um, you know, a- again at the turn of the century, uh, were from uh, Europe, yeah. who came with very good. Um, home-brew skills, whether they were uh, Slavic and Eastern European and could turn a potato into a a great-tasting vodka, or whether they were wine-growing Italians who loved to make wine. Um, And so women often uh, were brewing their alcohol and liquor at home because it was cheaper um, uh, than going down to a bar or a saloon or buying it commercially. Uh, and so when when prohibition came along, the government basically closed supply, but not demand, which just created this huge market yeah. for people to step into. And uh, again, uh, a lot of um, uh, solo entrepreneurs, uh, a lot of them were women because they had those skills anyway. Uh, and uh, uh, again, uh, the other thing, of course, that happened, the unintended consequences of Prohibition, were the rise of mobsters and gangsters. And right. uh, um, again, you wouldn't have had the Al Capones and, and the Bugsy Siegels and, and all of those uh, the criminals yeah. if you hadn't had Prohibition, give them the opportunity to make all of that money.
1: Right. And it's so refreshing to come across women who characters who are not just in it for the pin money right they're not just making enough to buy lace right these are women who are supporting families and
2: well a lot of men didn't come home from the war yeah. or when they did come home from world war one uh, they were so badly damaged and broken that they couldn't work and so in fact it was up to women to put groceries on the table um, that they didn't they, they needed to put a roof over their head they had to provide security for their family and so it wasn't it wasn't pin money it was very much survival and one of the things i've always found is that in that there's a core of steel in women especially women responsible for families that you will do what almost whatever it
1: takes to keep them safe
2: and mm-hmm. and secure
1: yeah and so we have this group of. Um, students, these young people who are coming out of high school and coming out of university now into a landscape that looks like nothing that we've prepared them for. Mm. So I guess again, there'll be, do you see opportunities for people who are coming out into this different climate? Well, certainly if you're, um,
2: traditionally you would, you would graduate high school, you'd work for the summer and then you go away to university. Uh, now, um, you may or may not have the the opportunity to go away for university because the universities may may not be open (laughs) doors won't be open and so again um the the jobs that normally you would have between high school and and university or after graduation at university are very different than the ones that they were a few years ago Uh, hospitality sector and those kinds of things so again uh, there's, there's always this spark and drive to create opportunity, and I would imagine that there will be uh, some very entrepreneurial uh, young folks who are going to take advantage
1: of the situation and carve out a niche. Yeah. It's an interesting time. I like, I'm thinking, okay, so a hundred years from now, who's going to be you, who's going to be writing about the 2020s. Right. And what are those women going to look like and how, what did they do to support their families or not their families? Like it's a, just a it, it, fascinating it, concept.
2: It, it is, you know, I spend so much time with my head uh, in the world a hundred years ago yep. that, uh, and then I look at my own daughters and see some of the challenges uh, that they're dealing with. And I just, you know, I just, Shake my head that uh, um, uh, it's there. There's there's the times always uh, call to us, you know, right. whatever those times are, and uh, when we rise to the occasion uh, to succeed. Uh, it's because of grit, determination, and probably
1: more than a little bit of luck. Yeah, and who you know. <laughs> so speaking of who you know, are there other authors in Brandon that I should keep my eyes open for, or other authors in, in Western Manitoba that I should be checking out? You know,
2: I don't know whether it's the uh, the water, the big open <laughs> skies, those those vast horizons, but, but there have been some phenomenal writers that sure. have come out of this area area I mean starting with Margaret Lawrence of course uh, out in Ipua and uh, you can't um, begin to think about women in fiction uh, the characters uh, of women in fiction without thinking of what uh, uh, she did uh, with her her Hagrid and and the the women that she was writing about Um, uh, locally uh, there's some very good historical writers and again whether they're um, uh, as far back as the 20s and the turn of the century, um, um, uh, or whether it's uh, World War II, which seems to be a very favorite era because yeah. it's within living memory. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's also some uh, really good uh, uh, science fiction uh, writers uh, okay. in the area as well. Um, there's uh, writers who are, are specializing in uh, the aboriginal culture and, and so, again, you know, I encourage everyone to come down to the library and start browsing your, your sure, local yeah. authors section because uh, whether you're, you're in Carberry or whether you're in Souris or whether you're in Nipua, uh, there are some very good local writers speaking with local experience.
1: Do you have a, a message you want to leave with our listeners today?
2: Um, I think that one of the, the things that I, I always appreciate... my. My first series uh, was inspired by a quote by Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically it, it, it matters not where a man stands in terms of comfort and prosperity, but rather where a man stands in terms of crisis and adversity. Right. And, and so the times right now are difficult um, and we, we need to be able to decide how we're going to approach them Um, uh, how we're going to get on in life, uh, what are the values that we're going to hang on to that will provide the framework and structure for us to succeed as we go forward in, again, as you say, some very challenging times. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, I'm delighted to be here.
0: That concludes another episode of Brandonites. Thank you to our guest, Sherilyn Dechter, and our interviewer, Robin Stewart. We will be posting episodes bi-weekly, so please subscribe to get notified about the next one. If you'd like to suggest a future guest for our podcast, send me an email at alex at wmrl.ca. Don't forget to visit us at one of our branches located in downtown Brandon, at the Shopper's Mall, or in Carberry, Glenborough, Hartney, and Nipawah. Check out our collection of books or our e-resources at wmrl.ca and see what we have going on for programs. Until next time, take care.